16, and we will be starting in verse 1. We'll pray for the Spirit's guidance. Our Lord and our God, as we come before you, I pray that you give us ears to hear and give us hearts to understand what you would have us do with these verses here. We pray for a measure of maturity, Lord. I pray that you guide my lips and I use my words as imperfect as they are to advance your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. We'll just read that far. You may be seated. You know, as we come into this 15th chapter, we see the gospel spreading. God's work is working. But we also see what's really in the heart of men, even the best of men. There is sin, there is dissension, and it interferes with men and their callings and the calling of the church. Friction, whenever you get a group of men or women together, there will be friction when you're speaking of things. Even in the church, there will be friction. There will be difficulties. Even when things seem to be going very well in the church. Remember Paul and Barnabas. The church is growing. They're going out preaching. Churches are being established. They're being persecuted by the non-believers and by the Jews. But there seems to be some harmony in the church. You know, if we go back to chapter 14, verse 27, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how they had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and there remained no little time with the disciples. So there was rejoicing with the brethren. It seemed like the Jews and the Gentiles in most of these places were getting along fine. They were understanding that there was harmony between them. That they were both equal under God's eye. And the church was advancing. Churches were being formed. Elders were being appointed. The churches were starting to stand on their own. So it would be a time of great celebration. The kingdom of God was expanding. You know, and that's for us. Anytime the kingdom of God expands... We should be rejoicing, whether it's in this church, church across the street, or the church across the world. 
It's a blessing. It's a blessing to the whole church. A blessing to us. But rest assured, anytime God's church is advancing, Satan will be there trying to distract, using his tactics to dissuade the growth. He will do anything. And here we see where church planters and disciples who are growing churches, assisting churches to form, now have to confront one another. Take their time and their efforts to confront sin within the church, which distracts from advancing the church and saving souls. It's a tactic Satan uses. He loves to have schism in a church. He loves it. That's why, again, I'm going to mention we must be found soundly founded in the faith. So what does it say? You know, if you're not founded in the faith, you're tossed about like the waves of a sea back and forth. You know, if you're not firmly established in the Word of God, you are open for manipulation, even inside the church. And that's what we have here. We have some people, it seems like they were believers, perhaps some of these who went down to, the, to Barnabas and Paul may not have been believers, but the ones in Jerusalem, it mentions later that they were. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. I don't know if these guys came from Judea, mostly, most probably Jerusalem. Maybe they tried to convince the Jerusalem church of this. Maybe it was being accepted partially in the Jerusalem church. We're not mentioned. It's not mentioned. But anyway, they travel a long ways, probably because they heard many Gentiles were being saved. And in their minds, they wanted to set the record straight. And in their eyes, remember the Jews, what they thought of the Gentiles? I mean, they didn't think very highly of them. Even the proselytes who came to Judaism they had the court of the Gentiles. They could only go there, and so far they were treated like second-hand citizens. It appears these Jews who now converted to Christianity wanted to keep that bias. That Gentiles who are saved are second-hand citizens or else considered they're not saved at all unless they perform works of the law. Saints, in reality, this is another gospel, what they're pushing. This is another gospel. This is a work-based gospel. They're saying you are saved by grace and with the keeping of the law. The commentator Machen said on this, what they were saying is, you hear the word, you believe, then you do these works, then you're saved. He said, no. He said, the scenario, the proper scenario is you hear the gospel, you believe, you're saved. Then you're saved unto good works. It's by grace. This is saying that the grace of God was not sufficient. And that robs God of his glory. 
Whenever you say this, that you have to add something to the salvation by grace alone, it's saying that God's grace is not sufficient and you are robbing God of his glory. And it's right that Paul and Barnabas were upset about it. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, you know, Paul and Barnabas rebuked them. He rebuked them that this is not right and this matter must be confronted because this is sin. Sin must be confronted. And in this case, they brought in the whole church because, again, they didn't know how far spread this had gone, how many areas this was taught. So they wanted this settled And they wanted it settled so that the whole church could be in unity again. Unity in truth. The truth to God's word. And what we know for certain is that Paul and Barnabas were wise and correct to confront this sin and confront it immediately. You know, sin is like a weed. I know in our garden we have lamb's quarter. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that. So I saw that as a little weed. And you go out and you pull it when it's growing near your carrots and stuff. You know, the roots don't develop. It's easily pulled. Shade isn't damaging the plant. The roots aren't big enough to destroy or take the nutrients from the plants you want. But I tell you, you let that thing grow. I mean, it'll get this high. And you can grab it with both hands and try to pull it out of the ground. You're not going to pull it out. And the roots are now robbing nutrients from the plants that you want. And because it's like a tree, it's shading them, so it's robbing them of sunlight. But the only choice you have is to take a nippers and cut it off. But the roots are still there. See, that's just like sin. Once it gets embedded, and if it's left to grow in a church... It will affect the other saints. It will affect the other young believers if the sin is not addressed and let to go. And then many times you can cut it off on the top, but if the roots are still there, it'll just keep popping its head up time and time again, and it'll have to be confronted time and time again. In our own denomination, the thing with same-sex people in authority... It's been dragging on for years, not being addressed. How much damage is that? It's frustrating to me. Sin must be addressed when it's in the family, the church, and even in the nation. Now our nation has so much sin entrenched, embedded, it's harder and harder to get it out. But it's still our task to do it as a church. To call sin, sin, no matter how difficult the task. But it must be confronted. And Paul and Barnabas... They took action. They confronted the sin. They were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. You know, they they made good use of their time as they went along. They were referring to how the Gentiles were being saved in each town as they went. Remember, they had to walk. 
They stopped at the churches. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, described in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. See, here's a proper response when somebody comes to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The church is happy and rejoices. They don't say, okay, now, well, they got to be exactly like us, walk like us, act like us, or we're not going to accept them. No, they rejoice that young saints are coming into the church. And then they, want, they will work to edify them. They will work to advance their Christian walk, but they'll do it in love and understanding. They won't put unnecessary burdens on their shoulders. And when they reached the Jerusalem church, they informed them also again of how the Gentiles were being saved. And remember, this is a big deal because the Jews hated the Gentiles for generations. When they came into Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they they declared all that God had done with them. Again, it's good for us to say how, how God has changed our life or how God has helped us to witness to somebody And they come to the Lord. It's encouraging to other people. And it's good to remember that. But remember, any growth, any time you witness, it will be met with difficulty. Satan will try to hold on to as many people as he can. It's a spiritual battle. He does not like losing his subjects. And he has a lot of plans and devices to try to keep them. He's been doing it for centuries. And here he uses a schism in the church. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Now this is a perfect example of a schism. The party of the Pharisees in the church. You know, here we have a church, and oh, there's the party of the Pharisees. There's that, that group there. Maybe they think they know more because they had to study the law because they were Pharisees before they became Christians. But just the fact that it says the party of the Pharisees, it's a group that is separated or thinks they're different than the rest of the church. That's a schism. And they will try to rule. They will try to destroy. But notice it says, but some believers, some believers, Satan will use believers to act poorly. He may use us to act poorly. You know, we all bring our biases and our traditions to the table, our past history. We all have them. But that is why we must understand and study the Word of God. We must come every week, hear the Word of God, reminded of the Word of God. We must be firmly bedded in the Word of God. Because then we will not be easily shaken, easily manipulated when our basis is the words of Scripture. 
you know, and through prayer and the study of the Word, God will reveal Himself to us. He will reveal His law. And He will mature the church. But it must be anchored in the Word of God. It must be anchored in the Word of God. But you know, these schisms do occur. It does rob the church of valuable time. When sin is confronted, it it robs elders and deacons of their time. But it is a good thing. Because it purifies the church when it's done in the proper way. The sin is exposed. You know, when we look at the testimonies and the creeds and that, it's because of schism in the church. It's because of dissent from some in the church. But done in a proper way, it strengthens the church. It strengthens individuals. Yes, it is an inconvenience, but it's a necessary inconvenience because we're all sinners and we're working with sinners. But if, it pers- if we take it and we have it where it purifies the church, if it clarifies sin in the church and separates it out, it's a good thing. Paul and Barnabas, you know, they came to the church to unite the church. To unite it in truth. You know, and the discussion is here. You know, the, they let everybody speak. Put your two cents worth in. Let the debate, the honest debate, happen. But then it's sorted out by the word of God. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, there's been much debate, and then Peter stands up, and Peter gives his testimony, his personal testimony, the visions of God. Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made me made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. By faith. Peter calls it right. But you know, this is something they had heard before. This testimony they had heard before. And they had an agreement on it. Because remember, again, The Jews did not like the Gentiles. They considered them dogs, unbelieving scum. They wouldn't even go into their houses. Remember when Peter went in their houses, the church elders said, you ate with them? We can't believe it that you went in their house. You know, then we go to Acts 11, 13. This is Peter speaking, and he told us how he had seen the angel standing in the house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, 
Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So it seemed like this matter was settled then. But you know, it's like that weed that was embedded, deeply embedded. They cut it off right at the ground, but the roots were still in it. A lot of people may have been saying, yeah, the Gentiles are coming in, but they weren't happy with it. They weren't settled with it because they were still caught up in their traditions. And these were members of the Pharisees. So I think pride played a big part in it. They have to act like us or be like us. We're a little better because we've studied the law our whole life. But again, controversy and a lot of the same controversy will spring up time and time again. Homosexuality in the church is one of the big ones. Gay ministers, gay pastors, it seems like it comes up time and time again. It's got to be dug out, rotten all, and cleansed. Again, remember last week I said how non-believers, how fickle they are. One minute they treated Paul as a god, and the next moment they're stoning him. You know, church members can be the same way, fickle, if they're not fully fixed into the word of God. They can be tossed to and fro. Any new idea or something they just heard, oh, let's go with that, let's go with that. If you're foundly and deeply embedded in the Word of God, you will not be manipulated. That's called Christian maturity. But Satan, you know, he always supplies the catalyst. Here, it's probably immature believers or prideful believers. And God works on their heart, and they, they say, well, you know, we have to do this. You guys have to do that. You have to be like us. But Peter, he sees through it. He sees this as assault on the gospel of grace. But this is works-based. In verse 10, Now therefore, for why are you putting God to the test by placing the yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to hear or bear? But we believe that we will be saved through grace as the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Notice Peter goes right to the word of God. He was mature enough to recognize sin and an assault on the gospel of grace. Verse 12, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Here again, you have more witnesses coming and saying, God is saving the Gentiles just like the Jews affirming what Peter had just said. And Paul and Barnabas were at this for months, so I imagine they had a lot to tell. And James, the brother of Jesus, he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem at that time. And he comes to the proper conclusion. He looks at the account of the apostle Peter and how God used him to open the door to the Gentiles, but also he uses the Old Testament to confirm what Peter had said. He goes back to the Old Testament. You know, and it's a prophecy that comes from Amos 11. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom 
And all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. We go into our text now in 13. This is James. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. He says, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Notice they go to the word of God. That's their proof. That's their anchor. The fallen tent of David is his heritage that was lost for a season. Through captivity, it seemed like his reign disappeared. Hosea spoke of this in 3.5. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come to fear, in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. What he's saying is David's lineage will be restored. In the latter days, that was Jesus Christ. Jesus, the lineage of David. The king that will reign forever. In 2 Samuel seven twelve, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Again, they're talking about Jesus Christ. And in Psalm 89.2, For I said, Steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens, and you will establish your father, your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. All generations. Now, what do we learn from this text? What do we learn? We learn that God is for all generations. He's here now and today. His church will advance, even in difficulties. But we learn also it will not be easy. You know, in Acts 14.21, says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made Many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. The Christian life is not easy for individuals, it's not easy for families, it's not easy for churches or for nations. There will be tribulations, there will be trials, expect it. Many will come from outside the church. Many will come from inside the church. Either way, it must be dealt with. It cannot be swept under the rug. It cannot be ignored. Tribulation is part of the church. Satan will oppose all of God's people. 
in one way or another. But God's church reigns forever. There will be many different types of saints throughout the world. Many different types of brothers and sisters in the Lord that we may kind of back off from. But if they are true brothers and sisters, they are your brothers and sisters. And we must have the backbone to proclaim the truth even to those who accuse us of being unloving, who accuse us of anything. If it's God's word, we must have the courage to rebuke. We must have the courage to call sin, sin. Who else will in this country? There won't be a Savior riding in on the political realm. God will raise up godly people. But it's when his church is faithful. And we must expect tribulation. Difficult times. We've had it pretty easy. Our nation is changing. I don't know where it's going. I don't like watching the news at times. But I do know as fast as it's going, and as many times church, the church and Christians, white males, seem to be the target, I assume it's not going to get any better soon. It says, when the wicked rule, the people mourn. Our nation is changing. I'm reminded every time I walk down to the end of the driveway. The garbage is there, and they used to pick it up weekly. It's been there three weeks now. Look at some of the store shelves. Try to buy something. Many times I go to Farm and Fleet, I have to go to three different stores to find nuts and bolts that I want the right. Our nation is changing. When the wicked rule, the people mourn. The people in charge right now love abortion. Look at how they're all going after Texas because they're trying to protect life. Do you think people who want to kill innocent babies who have backed and decided that it's good and a blessing to the nation to kill innocent lives, millions of them, do you really think they're going to have the other citizens back? They've already proven that they're murderers or they support murderers. You know, my dad was raised in the Depression, and one of my best friends, his father was. And my dad said how quickly things changed. No work. You know, one of the biggest mistakes people make is they think just because things have been the way they've been for a long time, they will always be that way. My dad said he'd pick fly fly poop out of pepper if they'd pay him during the Depression. Because there were no jobs. You took whatever you could get. And I remember my friend's dad saying, 40 years later, he says, whenever there's overtime, you take take it because you never know when the job's going to be gone. 
He said things changed so quick. They saw the signs, but he said it changed so quick. One day things seemed like they were fine. The next minute the banks were closed and you had nothing. I'm saying we must read the times, prepare that things are changing. And they can change for the good. I think this can be a glorious time for the church because the church has the answers, just like they had the answers here. There will be opposition, there will be tribulation, but they stuck to the truth, and that's what we must do. And nobody said it was going to be easy. As a matter of fact, they said they'll hate you, they'll kill you, they'll torture you. But it's worth advancing God's kingdom because of the great reward. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, I just pray that you give us discernment to discern the times. The times are evil. But you are still in control. You still reign. And you rule through your church. Rise up people in the church to stand for you. Rise up and give us wisdom and guidance as we go through these difficult times. Difficult decisions. And Lord, I pray against the wicked. I pray that you expose them and bring them down. In Jesus' name, amen.